Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish. This is another live show which was recorded at the Soho Theatre in London. And who is our special guest today? Well, if you are a podcast fan, if you are a fan of amazing books, if you were a fan of the TV show Horrible Histories, then you'll know who I'm talking about. Our guest was the historian Greg Jenner. So, like I say, Greg first came to prominence, I suppose, as the historical consultant on Horrible Histories, but he has since become a nerdy superstar in his own right, thanks to his podcast, You're Dead to Me, uh, which you definitely, if you haven't, I'm sure you've heard it, but if you haven't heard it, you definitely should check that out. But he also has written lots of books, the latest of which are called Ask a Historian and Dead Famous, an Unexpected History of Celebrity. And the very exciting thing about those if you are super quick off the blocks is that at the moment they are both 99p on ebook for the rest of september uh, he also has an illustrated kids book called you are history and that is out in hardback and audiobook as well look just go to the place where you buy your books ebooks and audiobooks and search for greg jenner and you will not be disappointed and i hope you will also not be disappointed with this week's podcast so let's just get on with it on with the podcast Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast this week coming to you live from the Soho Theatre in London. My name is Jan Shriver. I am sitting here with James Harkin, Andrew Hunter-Murray, and Greg Jenner. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is my fact this week. My fact is, when Virginia's Barter Theater first opened in 1933, it paid playwrights their royalties exclusively in ham. <laughs> Except for George Bernard Shaw, who was a vegetarian and managed to negotiate his payment to be in spinach. <laughs> Superb. Yeah, so, so this, is, this is an amazing thing that happened during the Great Depression in America. And this guy who was an actor, he was a very young actor at the time called Robert Porterfield, he found that all these actors were out of work. The theaters weren't running because no one could afford to go to the theaters. But then he also noticed that there were a lot of farmers who had a lot of produce that they weren't able to shift. So he thought, what if I set up a bartering theater whereby you could trade ham for Hamlet? That would be the system, <laughs> right? Good. So you could come in and you could then give, you know, any kind of produce that you wanted and that would get you a ticket. And the bartering system worked very much like how bartering does. You know, you negotiate as you're doing it. More like bartering. Oh. <laughs> oh, very good. Very good. It was um, good, yeah. Yeah, so it would be... Um, it was good, Andy. <laughs> Don't let everyone tell you differently. <laughs> yeah, so the system, yeah, God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, no, it's just, it's, the stories are great because um, people have written about how this, you know, a lot of these playwrights, so when uh, George Bernard Shaw was first uh, asked, he said, no, I'm not really into it, and then Pygmalion came out, and uh, he ah. said, okay. oh, yes. Pygmalion. Pygmalion. Should, should yeah. have been Spinachmalion. Should have been, yeah. So the, all the stories that he collected over the years, people got interviews out of him, and it's really fun. So there would be examples of, say, a farmer who would he would bring his cow to the theatre, and he'd say, 
how much milk to get in to see the play. And they would tell him, and then he'd go to the side and milk the cow to the amount that they said, hand over the bucket, and then he would start to go in. And in the anecdote, his wife was with him, and they said, you're not going to get your wife to come in as well. And he said, she can milk her own ticket. <laughs> I was wondering how they did um, change at the theatre, because I, I thought you were oh, saying... Oh, so yeah. you hand in yeah. your ham and you get a little bit of bacon back. Well, yeah, kind of. I mean, you could have a pig which was worth ten tickets. Wow. So I think you, if you traded a whole pig, maybe you got like a season pass, yeah. that cool. kind of thing. But they accepted all sorts. Of, it wasn't just farm produce. They accepted toothpaste, snakes, and underwear as well. Which <laughs> <laughs> is good if you don't have a pig. So you can just go, you know. Yeah. With the toothpaste for the snakes. I mean, do they have yeah. teeth? They have teeth, right? They've got fangs? They've got fangs, yeah. man. Can, yeah. you, can you brush a snake's teeth? Sorry, you actually, I derailed the podcast. You can, you can milk a snake's teeth. Hello, oh, great point. One ticket. <laughs> <laughs> there was all sorts of weird, like there was a boy who said that he had some jam or some kind of substance in a jar, it turned out to be mud, so people were trying to counterfeit their Lovely. way oh, in there wow. as well. There was someone who did bring a pig saying, uh, I'll pay with my pig, but then the pig got loose and all the actors had to chase their money <laughs> down the street. And weirdly, there was a jail that was directly underneath the barter theatre. So while they were doing the plays, there was always this slight concern that one of the jailmates would break free and sort of come onto stage and, right. and mm. murder everyone. So there was, a, there was added conflict, you know. Uh, wow. Yeah, it so, sounds like it was an amazing place. And one of the things was a guy came in, he was a mountaineer, and he said, I, I don't have any food, but I make coffins. Do you all want a coffin? And they said, no, we're fine. He said, well, I make canes as well. And he made so many canes that apparently every major actor in Broadway was seen walking around with one of these canes because wow. he just kept making them and kept going to more and more shows. And That's cool. Yeah. I mean, to me, I know I am an ex-accountant, but it does sound like a massive tax dodge. Oh, yeah. Like, bartering is all well and good as long as you pay the tax on the actual amount of the thing that you're bartering with. So how oh, much, yeah. How much tax? One slice of bacon? Well, you know, 20% of your pig. <laughs> or whatever. Okay. That's the thing. Like, there's that old story of Picasso. Do you remember? He was in a cafe. I mean, I don't think this is true, but he was in... It supposed is true. To, is it true? Yeah, my mum's got one. Wow. So... <laughs> Picasso, if I, if I, yeah, I think it. I know where you're going with it. Yeah. Picasso used to buy his meals by doing a tiny little doodle because yeah, it'd be worth yeah. more than the meal. Oh. He did thousands. They're, they're now valueless. Really? Is that what, like, is that what Gary Lineker one. has been doing <laughs> in all in the restaurants? restaurants. Curry all Indian restaurants yeah. in the UK have a signed photo of Gary Lineker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like everyone, and you can see it like, oh, young Gary was here. Oh, Gary was here quite recently. Yeah. Like, That's what he's doing. I imagine is that, that is he's, what he's doing. That right? probably is what he's doing. He's probably getting free food. Well, I don't yeah. want to besmirch Gary Lineker. I'll but... have a go. I don't mind. I, you know, <laughs> we don't the know thing is, other, though, yeah. with um, Picasso, right? So the story goes, one of the story goes that he did this doodle yeah. and they said, well, Mr. Picasso, will you sign it? And he said, well, I want to pay for lunch. I don't want to pay for the entire establishment. Oh. Right? That's the story. But the thing is... What a wanker. That's a, <laughs> sorry, that's a, okay. I don't think anyone's saying that Picasso wasn't a wanker. No, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of all the artists, I think Picasso is very high yeah. in the wanker index. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But the thing is, like, if you're an artist and you draw something and you're in a cafe and they give you some food, there are tax implications of that. And really, it is against the law to do that. The only way they could get around it is if Picasso, instead of just having lunch, if it was a business lunch, and if the people in the cafe were going to put the picture up on the wall so that everyone in the cafe can enjoy it, yeah. so technically it's decoration, then they're both business expenses, they're both tax deductible, that's fine. Right. Why, 
Why do you think accountants have such a reputation for dumbness? <laughs> Thank God James is not at all these historical moments where <laughs> Picasso lands an absolute zinger and he's going, well, actually, the tax implications of that. Could he do a smaller drawing to be the tax? No. <laughs> Yeah, he could. In fact, I believe in some places in America, sometimes they have accepted artwork as tax payment from artists who couldn't afford to pay their tax and right. have done that. So that is possible in theory, yeah. Are we, I can't believe we're accepting this fact, given how much shit I took many episodes ago <laughs> when I said that if Mozart was on the street and he was passing someone who asked him for some money, a, a beggar, a homeless person was asking for some money, that he would say, I have no money, but here, let me write you some music. And he would be like, and give it to them. <laughs> and then they would take that and they would... And do what? Sell it. What would you do with your Picasso? You can sell it for a lot of money. No, but you, you, can't, can't, no, you, you can't. No, you can't, because my mum has one and you can't do it. Has your mum been it? trying to sell it? Yeah, it's not worth anything. I'll buy it. Can, uh, well, all right. <laughs> I'll, I'll buy the unsigned Picasso that we know is definitely him, yeah. Also, how do you verify that the music is by Mozart when it's just one bar of music? Because it sounds like you? ABBA. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, barter. Yeah. Barter is a weird thing, isn't it? Because there's, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of debate about barter. Like, I, think, I, I definitely thought it's the thing before money. So the baker bakes some bread and um, he goes to the butcher and, and, the, and, the, and the butcher... Like, and the butcher has some meat, and yeah. between them they have a sandwich. And they, well, they swap. Like they, swap. they have two sandwiches. They have two sandwiches. Yeah. Exactly. You end up with two sandwiches, and everyone's happy. But of course, what if the butcher doesn't want any bread? The baker starves to death. Nightmare. So you need money. That's the, like that's the basic, and I say very basic premise. <laughs> but this is the weird thing about barter. There's no. I don't think it's any. Actually, it seems like money produces barter systems. Like, after the fall of the Roman Empire, people resorted to barter because there wasn't a stable <laughs> currency anymore. There doesn't seem to be any good evidence of a barter, like a proper barter society where someone says, I'll give you these grapes if you give me that cloth. It just, it just right? there doesn't seem to be any, any evidence for that. Greg? <laughs> huh. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> huh. I mean, One evidence that I found in a short look. <laughs> I just... I mean, uh, m money's fascinating, right? So coins are really new. Like, in terms of the history of the world, coins are, uh, like, they're like 2,700 years old, give or take. They're really, really new. So you've got these sort of enormous societies in the Bronze Age. The Egyptians don't have money. No, oh, really? The, the Sumerians, the Babylonians, the Akkadians don't have money. Really? Uh, and the first coin has got a little lion face on it. It's very cute, and it's ancient Greek. And I think the city, I think it was maybe Lydia, I can't remember, but it's, it's like 2,700 BCE. Mm. So prior to that, you have economic structures and you've got kings and you've got people with power and you have got distribution of wealth of a sort but it's not cash and even in the sort of 8th 9th 10th centuries you get these coin hoards you know viking coin hoards buried in the ground and you're never entirely sure to what extent they are someone going i'm going to put that in the ground and come back for it later or it's someone's nicked it or someone has been mm. killed in battle or you know we, we're never quite sure because the money's not in circulation so the history of money is really interesting because there's a there's a lot of stuff we don't know. But obviously, barter must have been part of that equation. It's certainly yeah, in the maybe. Stone Age, no? You're going to tell me there's no bartering in the Stone Age? I'm you going to do that? No. No, no, no. <laughs> Go on, do it. Don't. <laughs> yeah, sod it, why not? Yeah. Yeah. They went straight from nothing to Bitcoin. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> we're dead. But Crypto. you are right that definitely when society breaks down or when there's problems in society, we do resort to barter. Mm. That's yeah. definitely true, right? So in Russia in the 90s, there's a lot of it going on. Um, so there was not much 
certainly in the late 90s, not much demand for rubles. If you got any rubles, you just want to swap them for US dollars. That's pretty much all you'd ever do with them. And so when companies ran out of cash to pay their workers, the workers would often just accept you know, whatever you're making, you would take some of them home and then you'd be able to swap that for dollars. Mm. There's no point in having the rubles in between. And so there was like uh, Siberian workers who were paid in coffins, as yeah. we were saying before. Right. Uh, there was a Volgograd factory where all the workers were paid in bras. Okay. Uh, and then there was another factory in Volgograd called um, Aktuba, and they made navigation equipment. <laughs> but then they'd recently diversified into making dildos. <laughs> <laughs> And the workers decided, well, we're not going to get paid otherwise, so we'll just accept the dildos as payment. And this is in The Economist, guys. This happened. <laughs> and so they got all these dildos and then went to the local uh, sex shops to try and sell them and get some US dollars. But it turned out that just around the same time, the world had moved on to electronic vibrators <laughs> and their dildos oh. were virtually worthless. Oh, oh no. So, yeah. navigation that... to dildos. Yeah, that's, I was, I was like, how did they diversify from that? Like, yeah, yeah. The... So, it's what, like... from compass to cum pass? Is that. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I'd... Sextant. You had Sextant, sextant was right sextant. there. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Um, wow, is there a heartwarming end to the story where they all use the dildos to build a new... There's no heartwarming ending to any story that begins in Russia in 1997. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you remember the story of that guy who bought up a huge bulk amount of copies of Lance Armstrong's book, It's All About the Bike, and then... It's the not drug... about the bike. Uh, did he do two books? Not... Did he? No. Uh, <laughs> your, your it's ones. not about the bike. It's not about the bike. Which turned out to be... It's about yeah. the drugs, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, yeah this guy suddenly had a warehouse full of these books and no one was buying them because this guy was an untouched celebrity did all of a sudden. Did you buy them before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was like no. just before. It's like, did the deal and suddenly like, news headline, Lance Armstrong. <laughs> That's bad yeah. luck, isn't That's, it? Wow. <laughs> so bad. So was he sort of bulk ordering them in the hope of then selling them and, and I think the like they were remaindered and he thought, gotcha. I'll buy them gotcha. and I can do a trade of them somehow. Oh, yeah. Um, Here's a place that does have barter. This yeah. is good. Zoos operate a barter system with oh. each other, even today. Um, because you need a permit to buy and sell endangered animals, but in America, zoos are allowed to barter their creatures. Yeah. So in 2014, there was an aquarium in Boston that needed some fish, and North Carolina's aquarium had some of those fish. <laughs> and North Carolina wanted jellyfish and snipefish in exchange for the fish that they were going to give to Boston. But the Boston people didn't have snipefish. <laughs> so Boston... Had to is this a riddle? Some, is this <laughs> <laughs> hang on, Greg, hang on. So they had to get some Japanese snipefish, swap them for some lumpfish that they did have in Boston, then they sent North Carolina those. But they can't be on the craft at the same time yeah, as exactly. a fox. <laughs> yeah. And the, the fox is in a submarine. Yeah. And... That's it. The, everyone's in the... The zookeeper <laughs> was the mother. That's it. <laughs> That's anyway, really cool. And it's because in the olden days, if you had a zoo, you just send someone off and say, I'd like two pandas, please. Yeah. And they'd be an explorer and they just go and get you two pandas, but you can't really do that anymore. No. And um, there was one... Because <laughs> of Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> there was one I, aquarium oh, that swapped um, 800 mackerel for a dozen puffins. Does that feel like a good deal for you? I'd love a dozen puffins. Yeah? I feel like a dozen puffins oh. is exactly the right number of puffins. <laughs> I feel like that's, that's a bank job. It's like Ocean's Eleven, but puffins. I genuinely think if your mother put up that Picasso, right. you could trade that for 11 puffins. 
the Picasso is a dove, dove of peace. Oh. So it could actually, we could swap a dove of peace for 12 puffins and then I could hit a bank and uh, <laughs> take on a casino. Sorry, I don't you, know. Are, yeah. you, are you also, dra- are you the 13th puffin in the costume? I'm, <laughs> I'm George Clooney puffin. Yeah, nice. And then we'll have Brad Pitt puffin, uh, Matt Damon puffin and other puffins. I've forgotten who else is in the film. <laughs> Jet Li, is he in the film? I don't know. Um, did you, sorry, how did your mum come by this picture, the Picasso? Did you buy it? Or, or... No, she was gifted it, I think. Ooh. Because it's not value, in, it's just got, it's not enough value to be worth anything. So it's a gift you give someone in return for like, oh, thanks, that was really nice. Here's a, here's a Picasso. James, are there any tax implications to Greg's mum receiving this <laughs> priceless work of... Yeah. If she got them as part of her job, yes, there would be. <laughs> All right, she's a French teacher. Where, where do we stand on that? <laughs> Je ne sais pas. Oh. <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is Greg. My fact is complex, so I'm apologising in advance for it, but my fact is this. At different times in history, Mondays have been considered the first day of the week, the second, the third, and the seventh. (laughs) Wow. And what is it now? Right. So, um, <laughs> we've got six hours, yeah? Yeah, yeah. we've got six hours. Now, it's it officially, internationally, it's the first day of the week. Okay. The International Standards Committee, or whatever they're called. Because the, the, they, I was always taught at school that it's Sunday is the first day of the yeah, week. Yeah, so in the, in the religious Christian calendar, uh, Monday's the second day of the week now. It used to be the third day of the week, because in the Jewish calendar, it was the third day. Sabbath, mm. Saturday, Sunday, and then... Uh, Monday became the third, but then when you get Christianity becoming dominant in Rome in the sort of second and third centuries, they move Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. And so Monday becomes the second day. But the really tricky thing about it is that uh, the Industrial Revolution gives us uh, Mondays as we know them. The, the Garfield one, the Monday. The Garfield Monday that he hates. <laughs> yeah. um, there's a lot of great philosophers who do Mondays. Plutarch, Dio Cassius, Bob Geldof, Garfield. Mm. Uh, and, um, so our Mondays is an economic Monday. Uh, our Monday is the post-industrial revolution where you get the invention of a brand new temporal structure called the weekend, right? The weekend is a new thing. It's about 100 years old. And so Mondays get redefined. But in ancient astronomy, Mondays are wrong. So... The days of the week should be, according to astronomy, it should be Saturday, Thursday, Tuesday, (laughs) Sunday, Friday, Wednesday, Monday. Poor Craig David. He'd be so (laughs) confused. (laughs) Took it to a park on Monday. Met her for the first time Tuesday. What's happening? So that's the order that astronomically the planet should be in. And we've got this really lovely ancient book we don't have, we've got the title of by Plutarch, and the, the title is literally, Why is the days of the week ordered wrongly? It's the kind of thing you Google at 3 a.m. You're like, what? What's on Tuesdays? Um, so Dio Cassius wrote a uh, thing saying, what's happened here is it's because there's 168 hours in a week. There are 24 hours in a day, which the Romans are very keen on. Each hour gets assigned to a god. Right. The first hour goes to the god, and that god gets that day named after them. The second hour, next god, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and then you're back to the first god again. By the time you get to the 25th hour, you're onto the second god. So the day gets named after oh, him. Oh, yeah, okay. And so you end up with the days being in the wrong order. So our Mondays uh, are wrong, and the Romans are like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just have to live with it. And we have. We've lived with it ever since. That's amazing. That is incredible. 
I've got a fact about Tuesday. <laughs> is it Thursday, Tuesday, or Saturday, Tuesday? I'm going to go for um, my Tuesday, which is okay. tomorrow, yeah. Um, well, so we're doing this on a Monday, we should say, for the audience yeah. uh, listening at home. Um, the 20s, so this is cool. This happened last year. Uh, the 22nd of February, 2022, was a Tuesday. Yeah, oh, which right, means so it was it was Tuesday. It was Tuesday. 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 Very nice. Yeah, Tuesday. Tuesday. Really pleasing. It was yeah. Tuesday. Nice, that's good. nice. That's, that's the end cool. of the fact. One day's cause lightning. Cool fact. <laughs> okay. It's a good thing. Well, it's not a good thing actually. It's just a it's just a thing. Um, so it's because of car it's because of car exhaust. So more people commute. Um, Ah. On, on Mondays. So scientists counted lightning strikes in the USA for a decade and worked out where they fall, where the distribution is. So oh. and this is particularly in southeastern states in the USA. And lightning strikes rock it because there's, there's a bit more pollution in the air, the, the air is moister, there are low-lying clouds, that creates the perfect conditions for lightning. So, yeah, for hundreds of miles, you get more lightning on a Monday. That's, That's really amazing. interesting. Yeah. I've got a Wednesday fact. No. <laughs> Go on. Is this what? your Wednesday? Or? It's my Wednesday, yeah. Okay. yeah it's yeah. the day after tomorrow. We're recording this on a Monday. It's worth knowing <laughs> people at home. Um, according to one study, the best time to tweet, uh, or X, is to... Oh, no. Uh, oh, my God. No, no, Look at no, you no. staying in with Elon. <laughs> <laughs> you creep. Apparently, if you want to get maximum impact, it's 5 p.m. on a Wednesday is when you should send that tweet. That's, really? Yeah, they've just scanned through where most have engagement and so on, and apparently oh, that is most the people one. Hump day. Is that... What, I mean, that doesn't mm. feel... That, what's happening at 5pm on a Wednesday? They just, all... they just found engagement was higher. That's wrong. Yeah. I don't like that stat. I reckon it's because <laughs> people aren't really trying as hard because it's not Monday anymore. Right. But you also haven't left early because it's not Friday. Oh. It's just like the perfect time. So you're stuck in the office. Yeah. You're looking at your phone, it's 5pm and you're out that door. I reckon. Oh. Have you got any Thursday facts, Dan? I do. Um, <laughs> there's a theory that the universe was created last Thursday. It's called Last Thursdayism. And the idea right. is that, and it's, it's very hard to Hang disprove on. this. Was this fact three weeks old, in which case the universe hasn't been created yet <laughs> until this week? This, no, or is it always last Thursday? It's always last Thursday. Right. The idea is that every memory that you have, everything that's on our planet, everything has been set to seem like it's been here for millions and billions of years in the case of the age of the universe. So last Thursdayism says it's impossible to deny the theory. It's, it's infallible as a fact because it's impossible to find a glitch in. Right. Well, what if I put something in a box last Thursday and then I open the box today? Your theory falls over. No, it doesn't, because yeah, it your does. memory, as you put it, last Thursday... Well, yeah, yeah but I know I did, I la I, but I wrote a label. <laughs> I labelled it Thursday. No, I labelled it Wednesday. I labelled right. it Wednesday. I, I can't believe, Andy, that you found the hole in the theory. <laughs> wow. How come Andy's underpants that say Thursday on them are still in the wash? <laughs> yeah. <I> I got a fact about Fridays. Ooh. Oh, yeah. You want to hear that? Do you know Dress Down Friday? Dress Down yes. Friday, yeah. Do you know um, who invented that or why it was invented? Uh, military who, thing. Who it's a military it? thing. Yeah? Yeah. Like, every Friday, you don't have to wear your uniform. Yeah, you storm the city, but you're wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's fun. It's good for morale. <laughs> it's bad for camouflage, but it'll be like, be fun. Yeah. Uh, well, I gave you a clue there. It was invented by people who made Hawaiian shirts oh. to sell more Hawaiian shirts. Oh, really? Oh, really? This was in the 60s. Yeah. They. It was a company called. It was the Hawaiian Fashion Guild, actually. 
Uh, and they came up with the idea of Aloha Fridays, where everyone will wear a uh, Hawaiian shirt into work, and then it just took off, and now we have people just wearing jeans wow. on Friday. But do the people who work at the Hawaiian Fashion Guild have to go in in a three-piece suit on a Friday? <laughs> just while we were talking about military, mm. on Fridays as well, there's a thing on Japanese Navy ships and submarines that they have curry every night on Friday nights, because on a ship, it might you might lose the track of the days, and that's a way of them going, oh, it's Friday, we're having curry. It's a, it's a thing on the menu okay. that allows for them it's to nice remember. nice idea. Yeah, because you do lose track. And on a Saturday, you feel like, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, no, that's, I, I do have a Saturday fact, if that's what you're edging towards. <laughs> But it's absolutely not that. Okay, um, go on, let's hear your Saturday <laughs> fact. My, my Saturday fact is that um, on US ships and submarines, they will have burgers for dinner just so they remember what day it is <laughs> so that they know. And that, that's because so you can lose track when you're on a ship or a submarine. <laughs> they will have burgers and they're like, ah, Saturday. Yeah, I feel like I'm losing track now. Yeah. <laughs> Mondays, this is, a, this is a study from 2006, but Mondays, most of us apparently are tired and depressed on a Monday and uh, work that it requires emotional involvement or flair should be avoided. Or flair? I'm afraid so. Oh, wow. Um, it's best to be alone. Um, <laughs> our lines of communication mentally are largely closed, and communication with each other is also poorer on a Monday. Ah. So that's why we did this gig on a yeah. Monday, was it? <laughs> I think we're, maybe we're proving it. Yeah. We? <laughs> Very quickly, because I just thought something remembered. Fridays are obviously uh, Freya. So the, these are the Germanic gods, right? So Saturday, Saturn, oh, is the yeah. only one of the days of the week that's named after a Roman god. All the, other, all the others are Moon Day, Sunday, yeah. and then Germanic gods. Who's Freya? Freya, she's, she's uh, Anglo-Saxon and Norse goddess. Yeah. Very powerful, very cool. Uh -huh. um, Thursday's Thor, or Thunor. Wednesday's Woden. But um, the Romans called Venus the planet, not Venus. They called it Lucifer. Just suddenly it occurred ah. to me. And the Greeks called it um, Phosphorus, like giver. So it just it suddenly reminded me that Friday is named after Venus, Aphrodite, uh, but they didn't call the planet Venus. They called it Lucifer. So Ooh. they would see Lucifer in the sky and go, there he is. Oh, that's <laughs> great. It's quite a that scary name. Cool. Although they didn't call it Lucifer, they called it Lucifer. Latin. Lucifer. That's awesome. That's go on, Dan, tell us your Sunday facts. So on Sundays, <laughs> in order for US Navy ships and submarines <laughs> to know what day it is, they have steak. <laughs> because you can lose track of time yeah. when you're on ship. So they will have steak on a Sunday, and they're like, ah, oh, it's a Sunday. We're recording this on a Monday, by the way. <laughs> just for... uh, we're going to have to move on to our next fact in one sec. Uh, should we go for um, it? Or... I can give you a quick Sunday fact. Yeah. Obviously, Sunday trading was a thing. Mm -hmm. uh, there were certain things you were allowed to sell on Sunday, certain things you weren't. And so if you're a shopkeeper, you're allowed to sell food for horses because they were a working animal, but you weren't allowed to sell food for dogs because it was a pet often. Uh, this is in Hansard in 1968, they were discussing this. Uh, and apparently the reason that they wanted to change the rules is because it was such nonsense that a man could go into a shop and say, I have a pony who only eats dog biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have some dog biscuits for my pony? And they had to give him the biscuits. And that's when they thought maybe we need to change our rules a little bit. That's so good. That's amazing. <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is Andy. My fact is that the first electric cars were taken away each night and delivered back to your door fully charged in the morning. 
So they were like shoes outside hotel rooms, basically. You put them out, someone takes them away, polishes them. Is that what Sorry, happens? What? Hang on, what? <laughs> I'll tell you what, we stay at travel lodges. Yeah, where, yeah, we yeah, yeah. Yeah. where are you staying? Yeah. What are you talking about? That's a thing. And I no. feel like I'm immediately distracted from the main point of the... But that, that does happen in hotels. You put your shoes outside the room and then they... Like, if you want them polished, you don't have to... What? <laughs> Do you leave a note on them, say, no. please? Ah, it's okay. It's red, it's understood. Is it? You don't need to leave a note. I feel like the hotels finished. where I stay in, they would just get stolen. <laughs> Well, has, it, just by just by round of cheers, has anyone heard of that in here? Yeah. Okay, a few wow. people. But, who who but here not hasn't many, heard not of it? Ma- not enough for couple. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There Can I retake my fact? Yeah. A, the fact yeah. was fine. It was the following. First electric cars were taken away each night and delivered to your door, fully charged for the morning. A unique occurrence. <laughs> 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 when, are, when are we talking? First electric cars. So early, early days. Not so, the first, so like uh, late nineteenth, early twentieth century. This is from okay, uh, an so interview with the head of Ford. I was listening to a, a podcast the other day, with, which was interviewing him. He's called Jim Farley, and he was talking about the firm Detroit Electric who uh, they made early cars, like loads of the early, early cars when Cabastrians were, were just starting were electric. And um, the electric ones, they were kind of marketed at, uh, they were marketed at women, basically. Yeah. The idea was they're a bit daintier. Uh, you don't have to hand crank them to start because that's quite a, like a, quite a f- like physical... It's you the need smell a lot of, of petrol. Fu- the, the smell was particularly a big part. Yeah, of petrol stinks and it's smell, all yeah. like it's very... Uh, yeah, and um, also Wikipedia claims that they were sold to women drivers and physicians. No idea why. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think the idea was if you needed to go and save someone's life really quickly because they were sick, you wouldn't have to do all the cranking. Uh, you just go straight away. That's good. Okay, okay, that, that tracks then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, they, and they had this system with the, with the doors where they, they didn't have the charging capacity in your home, obviously, because most houses weren't even on the electric that point and they sound like mad cars they were operated this is incredible from the back seat <laughs> so amazing yeah this from is the incredible back seat, they had a rear facing front seat so you could face your passengers oh great you put your, <laughs> you put your passengers in the front seat facing backwards to you you can chat to them as you drive um but you can't see the road and they also and they had instead instead of a steering wheel boring they had a tiller yeah um because that was nice and it was nice and calm it was like having a lovely sailboat or something what's a tiller uh, like tiller. a rudder basically oh, on right. the back of a boat yeah yeah so, yeah, yeah. so it's yeah. left to go right right to go left wow i know <laughs> I didn't see so you have to do it backwards from the back seat of the car unable to see the road ahead of you yeah <laughs> so weird that the didn't tiller catch thing on. is amazing yeah. so um benz invented the steering wheel in the okay. 1890s benz and jerry's yeah it's... benz and jerry's yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, but Americans just stuck with this tiller the whole time. And there was a journalist um, writing around the time who said, few have adopted that foreign freak, the steering wheel. <laughs> a car with a wheel would be a nerve wracker of the worst kind. <laughs> Imagine that, a steering wheel. It's amazing. So it came back to your house fully charged. Yep. And we're talking not lithium-ion batteries. We're talking what lead no, acid? Very. Yeah, I don't know exactly what Must the batteries been, were yeah. in these. How do you charge it? For sure, they were acid batteries. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I think what would happen most of the time is they would replace the battery. Yeah. And then the battery would go back somewhere else to okay. be charged, which might take time. I don't know. Uh, but okay. It was a lot of these places, which I think would be really cool now as someone with an electric car. I'd love to just instead of plug in, they just take the battery out and put another one back in, and you, you just swap. go straight away. That'd oh, that's be really a cool, cool idea. Yeah. yeah. It's like yeah. changing horses. 
Well, that's yeah. actually the reason they did it because people were used to changing horses mm. yeah. and this was kind of the obvious way of doing it. Well, it's what, like, you get up in the morning, you look outside your door, you get your nice polished shoes, go down, you take a fresh horse. <laughs> Some, someone has recharged your shoes. Because, <laughs> I mean, rechargeable batteries were invented in 1859. Wow. Yeah, so it's quite early, right? Yeah. So that's, that's Gaston Planté who invents them, and that's, like, that's quite exciting. But that's already 20-odd years after the first electric car. It's really amazing how early... Because we, we now look at electric cars and we kind of go like, oh, you know, Elon Musk. Blah. But like, the electric car is like so much more established than fuel, than petrol. Yeah. And yeah. For a long time. The but for 20, for 20 years, they couldn't recharge the batteries. <laughs> That's the thing. You yeah. Had a battery, finished it. Like, yeah. Bang. Throw the car away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you just chuck it and you get a new one. The guy I like is, is. Have you heard of Sibranda Strutting? No. 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 Yeah. He's a Dutch guy. He's not. He sort of deserves more renown. He's quite cool. And he possibly invented the first electric car that's like decent and we know about. There's a, there's a Scotsman who, called Robert Anderson who maybe invented one in the 1830s, but we don't know much about it. But Sibranda Strating lived in Groningen. He was a Dutch chemistry professor. And in 1835, he makes an electric car. It weighs about three kilos. It's a tricycle. It can carry about 1.5 kilos, which is a guinea pig. I don't know. It's not great, <laughs> is it? Uh, it can go for 20 minutes. And it's 1835, nearly 200 years ago, and this thing is already electrified. But he's very cool because he also, he spoke 13 languages. Oh. He uh, built early electric light bulbs 50 years before Edison. He fought a pandemic. Uh, there was a malaria outbreak in Groningen, and he built a small uh, chlorine factory to create disinfectant for the people. Wow. Uh, and he built an electric boat. So this one sort of chemistry professor in the mid-1830s was just sort of going, yeah, I'll, I'll do a bit of this, a bit of that, a bit yeah. of this. But yeah, electric so car. Cool. And so Why don't he, we know his name? I think he's sort of been slightly forgotten. And I, I discovered a PhD thesis by a Dutch historian who's been trying to like, just get back to the basics because it's really fascinating. And I've got a picture of the car here. Like, you, you can't... Perfect for a podcast. Sorry. <laughs> but like, it's... God, that is an unbelievable what? picture. <laughs> I, yeah. wow. And the genitals are so impressive. <laughs> <They're> so... <laughs> and but the like... polishing finish on those shoes. <laughs> oh. um, but yeah, I just thought I like him. I think he's, he's doing yeah, electric cars cool. in the 1830s, way before Edison, way before yeah. Ford. What's his name again? I've forgotten it's it. You said it twice. Sibrandus Strating. Dutch listeners will now yell at me for getting that horribly wrong. Um, but yeah, 1830s. Very cool. Uh, and it's That's very cool. Uh, in 1908, there was a race... Philadelphia between Mrs. Laura Duval, who owned an electric car with a top speed of 17 miles an hour, mm. and a guy who owned a petrol car that could go 60 miles an hour, whose name appears to have been Driver Middleton. <laughs> so his first name was Driver. Oh. I don't understand that really, but that, it was in the papers, this is true. Okay. And they decided to have a race through the city to see who would be the fastest, see if electric cars were better than petrol cars. And the slight twist in kind of a Top Gear style is they had to stop at a few shops and do a few things on the way through the city. And the woman who had the electric car, she won by 10 minutes. And the reason being that she didn't have to crank it. Oh. And the thing is, like, you couldn't really go much faster than 20 miles an hour in the cities in the time because there was so much other traffic in the roads and people in the roads and stuff. And so really that was the fastest you could go, even if you had a 60 mile an hour car. And so the lack of cranking meant it was a much better... <laughs> yeah, lack right. of cranking. That's, that feels yeah. like that's a, that's a life lesson there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, that's the reason that electric cars didn't win the race against petrol cars is because people stopped having to crank their cars into life. So they invented a thing called the electric starter, mm. which meant you no longer had to crank the car. Oh, so so, 
electricity meant that the electric car failed. Oh, no. Dramatic irony. Yes. <laughs> I mean, dramatic irony up the wazoo. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. And there was another thing, the, the muffler. The muffler was invented, which made petrol cars quieter. Yeah. Oh, because, um, yeah, that was a big issue, right? And they got cheaper and cheaper. But it's also the discovery yeah. of oil, right? It's, it's, yeah, it's, the discovery of oil was a minor it's third element. which hugely <laughs> revolutionised. Yeah. I mean, Edison yeah. is talking to Ford, I think. They're having conversations about whether to go big and, and produce electric cars yeah. en masse. Because at this point, you know, so London got electric tube trains in 1890, it got electric trams in 1901, and it got electric buses called electrobuses in 1907. And they were powered by batteries. Yeah. So if you go on YouTube, there's footage of, like, um, Leicester Square or Piccadilly Circus in, like, 1908 or something. There are electric buses yeah. pootling around. Crazy. We I mean, were saying we did a show about suffragettes recently, but you do see these images where suffragettes are on electric scooters. Yeah. And, I mean, it's basically <laughs> London today. Popping a wheelie. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> How they were getting to, you know, throw yeah. bricks at Parliament and stuff via electric scooter, <laughs> which is mad. And one of the big things, I guess, is that there was so much resistance, not only from... Uh, members of the public who might not have thought that this was a useful thing, but by the rail workers as well, because trains were, you know, everyone would be out of a job if suddenly these electric cars worked. So early cars were being hit by yeah. a whole group and whole industry because they just thought, no way, we don't yeah. want you. Uh, my favourite electric car from this era is called the Electrobat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. 1894. I feel like Batman in an electric car, but like a really cute, poodling 15-mile-an-hour one. <laughs> That's a Chris Nolan movie I want to see. <laughs> in order to defeat fear, you must become fear, but only at 15 miles an hour. <laughs> in America, they, in, this is in the 50s now, um, they used to do mass car blessings. If you got a car, ah. you used to go to the church and have your car blessed just for, you know, good karma, basically. Um, <laughs> I'm mixing my religions there, oh, but yeah. Nice. Um, oh, I did, oh, shit! <laughs> oh, wow! You, cool. you stealth punned yourself. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that was cool. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Care to come back into the room, Mr. Schreiber? <laughs> I'm just doing my victory sorry. lap, Andy. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> So, yeah, so you would take it to church and you would have it blessed by a priest. Could you drive, would, is it like a drive through? No, but they did have um, en masse. So you would. En would... masse? Oh, fuck! <laughs> I am on fire! I feel like if I put my shoes on you, they're going to recharge. <laughs> what pun's coming next? <laughs> I'm too nervous. What if I, I'm going to start trying to think of one and Don't I should just it. say it. No, no, no. Stay in that state. I'll stay in the, in the zone, yeah. Okay, so yeah, so they would do mass blessings and so yeah. on and it would be thousands. Yeah, pretty cool, hey. <laughs> um, we do need to move on in oh, a second. Can I say one thing? Yeah, yeah. In 2010, Renault was sued. Re Renault in France was sued for trying to call their new electric car the Zoe. Can you guess why? The Zoe. Okay, Zoe. so was it by another person called Zoe who didn't want to be Zoe Wanamaker? It was, well, it was by two married couples oh. who both had daughters named Zoe Renault. And ah. they, like, their surname was Renault, it's just a name, you know. And so they yeah. said, our children's, our daughters' lives will be irreversibly damaged if you call your new car the Renault Zoe. Um, <laughs> and they basically they brought a case saying first names are for humans, uh, <laughs> not for cars. <laughs> so French. And then, <laughs> like, 
But the listen to this. This is just this is from the reporting of the time, right? The lawyer arg also argued that all of France's thousands of Zoes could be affected with playground teasing and, as they grow older, comments in bars such as "Can I see your airbags?" <laughs> <laughs> or "Can I shine your bumper?" <laughs> <laughs> Case was rejected flat out of hand. Uh, I do need to move us on to our final fact. Right. It is time for our final fact of the show, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that in 1908, the New York Times reported on a dog in France that was deliberately knocking children into the Seine before rescuing them and claiming a reward. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this is a thing that happened. It was um, in the New York Times that the headline was "Dog, a fake hero," <laughs> and they they said that he was doing it to win beefsteaks. Uh, and yeah, basically, a child had fallen into the into the river. And he'd gone and saved the child, and they'd given him a big old steak, and he thought, "Well, I could do with a bit more of that." <laughs> and sure enough. Over the next few days, more and more children started falling in the sand, <laughs> and the same dog kept saving them. That's amazing. It's so good. Isn't it cool? <laughs> That's incredible, isn't it? How long did the scam go before people went hang on us? It second? was only a few times. Oh, right. Yeah, the newspaper article said it wasn't too long before the jig was up. So yeah, <laughs> uh, but actually, this isn't the first dog who's done this. No. Um, I found an article in the Spectator from 1885 about a dog in Lake Ontario. Uh, who had pulled a boy out of Lake Ontario and they'd taken him and they said he went to a confectioner's and given him a variety of cakes and other sweets. Oh. I'm not sure if dogs are allowed to eat no. cakes and other sweets, no. but they did anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sure enough, he started pushing kids into the, <laughs> into the lake. Wow. It's so good. It's such a good example of unintended consequences. It's I love brilliant, it. isn't it? Um, I was looking into life-saving dogs. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and I found a report, this is from 2009, right, that Italy had 300 life-saving dogs that were stationed at beaches. Okay, I'm just going to tell you what it said, right? And then we can get into it, because the vice president of the training school was a woman called Donatella Pasquale, and she said that, the, I'm quoting here, the dogs learned to tow their instructors out to sea so they had the medical strength to give attention to drowning swimmers. Oh, yeah, right? that makes sense. Does it? Yeah. Well, if you don't have a boat, if you but don't right, have a boat... Okay, that's the if, that's the big if. Yeah. Because why, why can't you just get, have a boat? <laughs> But, okay. They spent all the money on dogs. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And she says, she, okay, 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 Dan. That's, okay, so maybe you don't have a boat on any of the 300 beaches where you station the dogs. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> here's, here's what uh, Ms. Pasquale said. The dogs are incredibly strong. Our record is one dog towing 40 people at the same wow. time. What? Are they Newfoundland oh dogs? God. Are they Newfoundland dogs? Who fucking cares, Dan? It's 40 people. <laughs> yeah. One dog can't tow 40 people. No, that's impossible. Are they not on a lilo? Are they not on like a sort of cyst? Are they like yeah. floating on the surface? So you're still exactly. Not, they're not so, swimming. but why is the why are the dogs towing forty doctors <laughs> on the same? Like at that point, I feel get a boat. <laughs> Sometimes, Andy, yeah. and I only know this because I do watch a lot of Baywatch. You can't <laughs> make it out past the surf on a boat, right? So when you're swimming, if you're on a speedboat and the waves are coming in thick and high you're going to get flipped over. You're not going to make it out. So that's why David Hasselhoff always runs with that little red thing that looks like a mini, like, micro surfboard oh, yeah. and does that. Now, 
That's Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Okay, go on. Go How on, much yeah. better would Baywatch be if he had a dog under his arm <laughs> and, he and was able the, to conserve his energy? The dog. There you go. Not yeah. surf it, but like get out there in that sort of way, right? Amazing. I, it makes total sense. <laughs> Oh, well, you've, you've put me back in my box, Dan. I thought that was an insane thing, a dog towing 40 people. But you've made me see it's a very reasonable... Well, no, <laughs> the reason I mentioned Newfoundland dogs is because yeah. a lot of uh, rescue boats take Newfoundland dogs with them on it yeah. in order to... They're, they're they? amazing at saving people. They're these big, fluffy life rafts, basically. They get into the water. You can lay on them like your Kate Winslet in the, on the door, <laughs> and you can be saved dry. And there's a story, and Greg, I wanted to ask you about this. Yeah. And actually, actually, full Disclosure, it's the only time I've ever asked a guest whether or not this is true, and you said no, but I'm gonna ask you anyway. Um, apparently, Napoleon fell off a boat and a Newfoundland dog jumped in after him and saved him. No. So your answer is still the same as before the show, <laughs> is what you're saying. I mean, there's a billion stories about Napoleon. Yeah. You, just, you can never, ever rely on any of them. So, okay, uh, right. I, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. Oh, I'm still upgraded to a maybe. I'm still <laughs> taken by your vision of Titanic's closing scenes. <laughs> Get off the dog! <laughs> I've got some other hero dogs who might be villains, but not really. But okay. They're, okay. They're, not, they're not villains, but they might have stolen a bit of thunder from other dogs. So the most famous one is Balto. Have you ever heard of Balto? Balto, no. no. Balto. He was a hero dog, really famous, because he, he was part of a team of sled dogs, uh, sort of at, you know, 120-odd dogs and 20 mushers, 150 dogs, I think it is, who saved a town in Alaska in 1925 called Nome. And they had a terrifying outbreak of a really horrible disease. I think it was diphtheria. They couldn't get the medicine to them because it was just frozen. The planes wouldn't get there. The ships wouldn't get there. And yeah. a team of uh, kind of sled dog mushers, I guess, volunteered. And they had to take this medicine 670 miles in terrifying, you know, the worst possible Alaskan weather you can think of. And it's called the Great Mercy Race for Nome. And Balto was the lead dog in the final leg and became like a Hollywood celebrity. They put a statue up in Central Park, uh-huh. became really famous. He was stuffed, put in a museum. And everyone was like, <laughs> Balto was a crap dog. Really? Balto the hero dog? He was never a good dog. There were other dogs. Really, that dog, that dog? And it sort of turns out maybe that the, the musher at the end, a guy called Gunnar Carson, he had been doing the second to last leg and he got to the kind of way station and found the other guy who was meant to finish the run was asleep. And he says, oh, well, I didn't want to wake him up and delay. I thought we just had to get to Gnome. And so I did the final leg on my own as well. So he did two legs right, with Balto yeah. as his lead dog. But there's a sort of controversy as to whether he stole this uh, guy's thunder, stole the other dog's thunder, and the Balto, the kind of mediocre dog, and Carson, the, you know, but basically nabbed the headlines and ended up as the hero of this enormous sort of relay race to save a town. Yeah. But there's a yeah. bit of a kind of controversy as to whether he maybe nicked that from someone else. And I guess they kind of don't care that much because it gets the story out there still, right? Yeah. And yeah. it's like the, the face of the story. So that's yeah, kind yeah. of the important part. I've got another villain that I found out as well, uh, worth mentioning. Um, have you heard of the DC superhero called Dog Welder? <laughs> No? No, no, no. Dog so Dog Welder, um, he was a villain, um, and what he used to do was weld people's dogs to their faces. That was his <laughs> thing. And he has, you can, read a, you can read a sort of bio on him, so powers and abilities. Abilities, dog welding. Um, <laughs> obsession, has a strong compulsion to weld dogs on people's faces. 
Equipment. Welding equipment. <laughs> Weapons. Dogs. <laughs> which he welds onto people's faces. And so this was a, this was a wasn't DC a comic. Real, yeah. Yeah. I, is, wasn't he part of a team? I think I remember vaguely there was, he was in a team, and one of the others in the team was yes, the, that's the, right. de the defenestrator who carried around a window to throw people through. <laughs> so, and that was the, yeah. I think you're thinking, because he gets, he gets rid of now, I think you're thinking of Dog Welder 2, who was, basically, there was a husband who one day goes to an antique shop, he's possessed by original Dog Welder's welding equipment, which happens to be in the shop, and then he immediately uh, gets very obsessed with welding dogs and welds the family dog to his children's faces. Um, <laughs> his wife is furious. She divorces him. Um, <laughs> And so he's like struggling with it because he wants to get back with these kids. He's like, why am I welding dogs to people's faces? I don't understand what's going on. And then it turns out, and this is he turns into a good guy because he learns um, that actually there's a moment where the stars Sirius A and B are expanding. And if they touch, they'll explode and destroy Earth. And so... Wait a minute. He, the he, dog star. The dog stars. And he realizes he's meant to weld them together. Amazing. So he punches some NASA astronauts in the face, steals their outfits, their astronaut suits, outfits, <laughs> space suits, <laughs> and flies beyond the moon to the Sirius stars where he welds the planets, the stars back together, and uh, he dies in the process. But so he, he turns good in the end, dog welder. Um, <laughs> it's a brilliant thing. When you weld a dog to a face, is it face to, do you go dog face to human face? Do you do dog bum to human face? Do you do dog oh, side? Is it, what? Like a human centipede. Human centipede. Is it schnauz or is it schnauz? Is it, is it, is it, you know, where are you? I would have thought the side of the dog to the side of the face. Right. That's why I was thinking. I would think so. But I, don't you have to have metal to weld things together? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Oh, hang on. Sorry. Mr. One dog can tow 40 people. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, you're right, Andy. Let me write to <laughs> Fantasyland, care of James and Andy. <laughs> if we welded a Newfoundland to David Hasselhoff. <laughs> Uh, we um, must wrap up soon, but... Um, can I tell you one last thing? Yeah. yeah uh, sure. In 2015, the Telegraph reported on a stray dog called Archie who had been rescued. Uh, and it was a really nice story and coached back to strength by a volunteer. Uh, Jack Russell, little little dog. Um, and it was a lovely French nursery school teacher who had been volunteering at this centre and spending all of her weekends with him. She sang him lots of songs in French and she called him Mon Petit Chou and all of this. And as a result, um, Archie now only reacts to commands given in a French accent. <laughs> And if you want Archie to do anything, you have to say, Zit, and he won't <laughs> do anything else. <laughs> Wackies! Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I got a very, very quick story. No, go for it. We have the... a few more minutes. Okay, so about clever dogs. Yep. So the spectator, which is where I told you about the, the second evil dog, yep. um, they actually got a bit of a reputation in the 19th century for sort of clever dog stories. Uh, to such an extent that whenever any other newspaper would write about them, they'd say, oh, this is yet another spectator dog. Uh, but they would always get people writing in with these stories, and they all said they were definitely true. So there was one person who said that they were in church, and there was a new priest, and the priest was saying a sermon, and it was going on forever and ever and ever, and there was a dog in there, and it got restless, and the dog knew that an altar boy would always go around with the plates to collect money just before the end of the church service and so what he did was while this 
pasta was sort of droning on, he went over to the boy who always took it and sort of looked at him, just stared at him and said, when are you going to do your bloody thing? And then when the boy didn't do anything, he started to beg for him to do the passing the plate round. And when he didn't do anything about that, he started nuzzling him and trying to push him around the church to try and get him to do this part of the mass. And then knocked out the boy, took his cassock, (laughs) dressed up as the boy, Conducted the search. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, not the search. What's it called? The... <laughs> like the... <laughs> What's the free money thing at the end of church? Called? Free money. <laughs> You're doing it wrong if it's free like, money. Not the like. I want the to collection. Say the, the collection. I want to say the tipping, which is not. Yeah. Like, you know... Can I just ask what is the tax implication of the uh, <laughs> free money? All right, I need to wrap us up, guys. That is it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland. James. At James Harkin. Andy. At Andrew Hunter M. And Greg. Uh, Greg underscore Jenna. Yep, or you can go to our group account, which is at No Such Thing. Go to our website, no such thing as a fish.com. All of our previous episodes are up there. You can also join Club Fish. Any Club Fish members in here? Turn oh, wow, quite a few. Okay, cool. Um, join them. They sound fun. Um, and uh, we will be back again next week with another episode. Thank you so much, Soho Theatre. That was awesome. Thank you, Greg. Uh, we will be back again, as I say, next week. Goodbye! <laughs>